Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe that, give me an amen. Amen. All right, quick, let's take our declaration of understanding, then we'll take our Bible um, reading of the glory of the Lord Jesus. There's a reason why I want to use that order. I want us to take that as our main text. All right, let's settle down quickly. All right, the Lord is good. It's a great day today. It's a great day for you as a person. It's a great day for the church of God. Amen. And it's a great day for this nation. Amen. We declare Nigeria blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our declaration of understanding as we begin to study. Now I the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, God is going to do that for you, in Jesus' name. All right, quickly, let's open our Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 13. Then we'll all stop reading at verse 10. That's the verse 10. 20, I meant. Then I will continue while you listen from verse 21 to the end. So we have some reading to do this morning. So we are all together declaring the glory of the Lord. We are magnifying Jesus Christ. We are giving thanks unto the Father. We'll do that together. Then I will now read the next few verses as my Bible reading to start today's teaching. Do you understand that? All right. So, we are giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, go. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Amen. Amen. Now please listen to this. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, that is the death of Jesus, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Now, if indeed, that this is the condition, if indeed, that this God will be able to accomplish that, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, 
which is his church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made the minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations. This is what I'm preaching, that mystery, but which has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, he said, that verse 27, God wanted them to know what the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That gives you the assurance. That is what brings the glory into your life. In verse 28, he says, we proclaim him, Christ. That's what we preach. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. We give you praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's take our seats. The Lord is good. All right. Once again, good morning to everybody. And happy Independence Day in Nigeria. We began two meetings ago. This is the third one. Uh, this is the third uh, episode in that teaching series, which we began two meetings ago, uh, on a new man and a new world. The thing I have in mind, again, is to lay the fundamental, that is, I want to lay the fundamental principles of life in, you know, the principles for everybody to understand, again. So we began looking at how God creates, that what is heaven, really, remember? We said heaven, in simple terms, is where God dwells. That is heaven. What is hell? What is the lake of fire? Is that place where God has selectively removed his presence. So that when you are there, you are in utter darkness. That is the worst of torments. It's not something you want to stand for more than, for up to one second. That's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? You don't want to be without God in your life. We have explained that many troubles in this earth, they are occasioned by the absence of God in people's lives. That's what many troubles, okay? That's what leads to them. When people are without God, and many of the uncleanness you see on this earth today is because people have rejected God. And sometimes there's a remnant of his spirit around, see calling on people. But when he fully removes everything, then the person is in hell. So we try to establish that they therefore can be hell on earth for people, and there can be heaven on earth. It's about whether the presence of God is there or it is not there. If the presence of God is not in a home, that home becomes a small representation of hell on this earth. So when God wants to create heaven, what he does is to put his presence in places. And I said that what God does is to solve people. He doesn't solve problems. I hope you're getting my point. Because what carries his presence really is people. So what he does is to bring his presence into our lives. And we saw that from Genesis. That when he said, let us make man in our image, don't assume as soon as, as soon as Adam was made, he was perfect. Everything was okay. God speaks in an interesting way. He will say to Abraham, a father of many nations, I have made you. And Abraham is without a child at all. But he says, 
I have made. In the same manner, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created him. When he said that, okay? If you go and say male and female, he created them. There was no Eve at that point. So God speaks about things as if they are done. So you have to understand when he speaks like that, then a process now starts to bring that which he has spoken into full manifestation. So when he said, let us make man in our image, he made a body for the man, which was after the likeness of the Jesus that will come. God in heaven doesn't look like that. I hope you're getting my point. But when Jesus will come, that was what he will look like. So that was used to shape a body for Adam. And then the Lord used to come to that man in the cool of the evening to transform him into the image of God in his person. Not just his body now. In his person. So God made Adam. It was not perfectly the image of God yet. That's why God used to come to him and sit down. And by the, you know, just that ambience, being in the presence of God, he's been transformed from one level of glory to another. Do you get my point? As he will behold the face of the Lord, he's been transformed from one level of glory to another. As the Lord will speak to him, when God speaks to you, he's not just giving you information. He's transmitting his spirit into you. Don't ever forget it. When you sit in the presence of God, it's not just to learn things. And that's the mistake we make sometimes as believers. We think it's about learning principles and precepts. I said there are two ways God brings his blessings. Number one is that when his presence is in your life, he starts controlling things that you cannot control. You, can't, you don't even know how to manage. I spent a lot of time then explaining to us that the world wants to talk as if they can decide what the weather will be like. And I see the fallacy in the news. They toss it into the news every day. So one small video by BBC the other day showing that Nigeria experienced a lot of flooding this year. And of course, they will add it as the effect of global warming. <laughs> All right? I see to tell you, be careful. And I say it again boldly. All right? Human beings cannot control the temperature of this globe. They can't. All the noise they have made about global warming, global warming over the last 150 years, they're about 149, if I'm accurate. It has only warmed by about 1.01 degrees of which most of it happened in the last 10 years. Now, why was all the noise over all the years? There are computer models. There's a lot of uncertainties about it. And I'm saying to you that they can't control it. They talk about the Ice Age. There was nobody around to warm the globe after the Ice Age. Do you get my point? The globe warms. Now, what I'm going to say is this. You cannot directly control many things. No matter how much you know about how to plant your seed and how to harvest, you cannot control whether it will rain or it will not rain. It's okay, I can control the irrigation. <laughs> can you control, you know, whether the sun will shine or it will not shine? Because the sun is required for that your large field. So there are things beyond your control. So when God blesses you, or when he puts his presence in your life, then there is an ambience generated. There's a spiritual climate generated which pulls in the positive things that you can't control. I hope you get my point. It pulls in the positive things you cannot control. But then the second thing he does is that he starts teaching you, in the midst of all of that, how to plant your seed and how to harvest. These two things go together and they produce heaven for you on the earth. The emphasis is that man is first transformed before heaven is created around him. I said to us that, you see, the garden was planted by God. It was not the whole earth at that time that looked like that. That's why I had to specially plant a garden in, an eastward in Eden. But what he planned was that as Adam will be transformed and they will have children who are trained like that in righteousness, they will spread that heaven 
into every corner of the earth. So that the whole earth will be, when you find, you know, like, now I want to just say this, I want to illustrate. You now call that paradise. So when you have heaven on the earth, do you get my point? The place is now like paradise. How was it going to create that? By bringing, it's not just going to school to learn the technology. See, if you learn the technology of God without having the spirit of God, eventually everything will lead you to frustration. I hope you're getting my point. A lot of people do that. They go and learn the methods by which things are done, but they don't have that spirit. It's like you building a very beautiful machine. There's no electricity. Every day you are looking at, why is this not working? Because that spirit, which is what we call electricity, is not being injected into it. So when God wants to solve problems for people, he doesn't solve the problems, he solves the people. Let me take a small digression here. Anytime you have problems in life, before you start focusing on the problems and the people causing it, focus on yourself and the relationship between you and your God. As a believer, please, let me say that again. No matter the... See, no matter what it is, whether it's financial, relationship, in the neighborhood, do you get my point? Your neighbors don't like you. They dump refuse at your gate. Do you get my point? They park their car in such a manner that you can't come out of your own compound. Then they play music. The neighbor on the left will do party today. The one on the right will do all night Thanksgiving tomorrow. The intercession of the one behind, that is, you will not sleep. Now, these are human things that the natural reaction is to go and fight the people. I hope I get my point. But I'm saying to you now by the Spirit of God, anytime you have any issues in your life, avoid that temptation of pointing fingers first. Identify who is responsible. No matter how innocent you think you are, sit down first and say, God, what is going on with me? What is going on between me and you? Do you get my point? You are good on the road. You splash water at the military checkpoint when everybody's body is hot. Then a soldier attacks you. <laughs> Don't worry about the soldier first. Ask yourself, Lord, what is going on in my life? See, there is nothing accidental in the life of a Christian. There's nothing. Like I say, I don't like to send people to go and watch movies. But I've seen a, movie, a few movies. I see, that's how I look at things. Anything you are doing, I'm reading spirit out of it. Do you follow my point? Now, I saw one movie the other day. Some of you can guess. But the way things played out inside there, I said, this is spirituality. This is real life. This life is so complicated. All right? Now, let me quickly say this. I don't believe that God can change the past. You know, I've said this many times. Because what you call past to God is left side. What you call future is right side of the table. He's looking at all of them at the same time. What you call the present is in front of him. So if it turns like this, his left hand can easily... Please, pardon me to use the word left hand. His left hand can easily touch the past. The right hand can easily touch the future. Any one of the hands can easily touch the present. He doesn't understand what you call past and present. That is like it doesn't constrain him. It happened long ago, it doesn't constrain God. He can make that which happened 10 years ago. He said, okay, from now on it did not happen. So what do you mean it did not happen? I'm telling you it did not happen. Don't worry about it. What it means that henceforth, when you are thinking, assume that thing has absolutely no consequence on your present and on your future. That's how powerful it is. That's why God helping me. This is, I don't let time disturb me. By now, you should have done this. This is how long it takes to do this. I said, even Albert Einstein explained that time is relative. Even physically, it's been shown that time is not absolute. 
He detected it in a small measure. The man found that you can stretch time. And with a clock, depending on how you are traveling, how your clock is reading is different. These are things of, you know, of on quantum levels. Yes, we understand. But the reality is that time is not absolute. But we know that from scripture. God told us before, a day with the Lord is what? Like a thousand years. A thousand years can be a day in his presence. There are other things he's checking. For him, what determines whether something is a thousand years or it's a day, it has to do with the state of your heart. Because God is not slow concerning his promises, but he's waiting for men to repent. That is, what it takes God a thousand years to do, he could have done in one literal day if men could accomplish the repentance necessary in that short period. What stretches the waiting of Abraham to 25 years is because it takes God 25 years to take an Abraham and make him into who he wants him to be. Do you get my point? If it was possible for God, because you see, he can do everything, yes. But once he gets us involved, we limit what he's doing. Working diligently, or working diligently on Abraham. Abraham working with God took him a minimum of 25 years to get, not only Abraham now, but both Abraham and Sarah. The Bible doesn't talk much about Sarah, but Sarah was crucial. He had to get both Abraham and Sarah into a place where they could receive Isaac. There are many things he did. Many experiences they had to pass through. And many experiences in our lives, they are designed for that purpose. To bring us to the place where we can receive Isaac. And more experiences will come to bring us to the place where we can offer up Isaac. Receiving Isaac is the first step towards offering up Isaac, which is the ultimate. I hope you are getting my point. God is just not trying to give you Isaac. God is trying to prepare a sacrifice for himself. Isaac was the sacrifice of God that he wanted. So first he gave Isaac, and then he said, offer to me Isaac. The reason why Isaac was given was so that Abraham would have something to offer. Please, I hope you are getting my point. God can't give you a blessing and you want to hold on to it like your life depends on it. The moment he gives you a blessing, get ready to let it go. I hope you are getting my point. So he brings it to you first, then he prepares you to be able to offer it. Now how long it takes depends on how quickly you are responding to the lessons of life. I hope you are getting my point. How long it takes is determined by how quickly you respond to the lessons of life. So that's why time doesn't worry me anymore. Listen, those are what you lost, the years that locusts ate, the kankawam, the palmawam, all my great army, which I sent into the midst of you, different stages of development of locusts. That's what we're talking about, different worms, all right? I can restore to you double. And see, sometimes we try to get our calculations correct. God says double. No. When God talks sometimes, you have to understand, a day with the Lord is a thousand years. So we will not be doing calculations. How many days was that? Five days. So it means it's 5,000. No! <laughs> that day can be 10 days. Do you get my point? That day can be one year. That day with the Lord can be 10 years. And it can be a thousand years. He was trying to explain to us that God is not constrained by our own sense of timing. Do you get my point here? But he wants everyone to come to what? Repentance. What am I saying? So what God does is to deal with us as individuals. And he uses everything around. Instruction number one. And no matter how diligent you are in paying attention to instruction, there are things you can't understand. Do you get my point? And that's why when you teach students, you do practicals. They have to see what you are saying. Practical experience helps you understand the theory that will be taught later again. 
So Jesus will say, there are things I want to tell you, you can't bear them now. I hope you're getting my point. <laughs> you know, somebody said concerning Paul, that when Paul said all these things, you know, I've counted as dung. So there are different ways to count things as dung. There's revelation, then there's donginess of the thing itself. I don't know whether you got that. And when you try to, okay, let me give, give an example now. You're very intelligent, you're brilliant, you went to good school, you got a first class in your first degree, then you went abroad, did a master's PhD, returned with a PhD, and then two years you can't find a job. Five years you can't find any employment. Investment did not give you, you came up with ideas, nobody invested. The next time somebody said, that, look, I'm thinking of sending my grandfather's house so I can go and get a PhD from Hammersmith or from one big university in the U.S. You know what you say? Don't waste your time. You have discovered the donginess. Is my English good? <laughs> yeah, you've discovered it from experience. You will have discovered it from experience. That about all this one is vanity upon vanities. Or you go for an interview. You're feeling brilliant, you know? You know all the laws of um, advanced mechanics. So you now go to Innocent. Thinking the Innocent motor, <laughs> motors will employ you so you can help them develop their cars. Innocent look like this. Engineer, how now? Say, fine. That's the man himself. Say, have you now follow us at that workshop? The entire workshop. I've been trying to join this, um, this Axu to this engine for some time. It's not working. You fit. You look at him like, Excuse me, what did you say, sir? The boys go and they bring the, this thing that, grow, grow. help us down. You say you'll be an engineer. Look, this thing not their line. I want to start quoting for him that depends on the ex- linear of expansivity and the coefficient of traction. And the man was like, what did you say? I think he said you'll be an engineer. So you can leave out now. They get to your office and tell you, say, there's no vacancy. You came there with, meanwhile, if he had sat you down, you know, one day, somebody did an experiment, took a battery, a wire, and a bulb, and went to a graduating class from MIT. You know MIT? Yes, yes Macha Sussex, I mean, Massachusetts, <laughs> you know me? Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I bite my tongue because of engineers. God forgive me. And they just showed all of them wearing their graduation gowns, engineering graduates from MIT. Put on that bulb. Now, you know, we learned it as children. I don't know about you. When we're children, in fact, the older ones we sent, two of us, my friend and I, our job was to gather batteries. So we'll take a bucket and be going from dump to dump. So we, had, we have a stick in our hand. Look, any battery you see on the ground, you push it out, clean it. Your friend brings the wire. You test it. If it lights, put in the bucket. You continue. We walk around the, the whole neighborhood until we gather enough batteries. When I say children, I mean literally children. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. I was not even nine years old yet when we were doing that. Because I remember, and that's where I remember things. I was not nine yet. I was going to say eight, but let me just put nine for certain reasons. I was not nine yet when we go around the neighborhood. Our job was to test batteries, and bring home. Then you know what we're doing with the batteries? We're doing street light at the back of the house. So the senior boys had done one long rack where you stack the batteries end to end, you know, series connection. Then we had wired the whole back of the house 
along the fence. Did you understand? We put sticks, put bulbs. Our job was to come and bring batteries. So we arranged all the batteries. Oh. <laughs> then we forgot to do calculation. I wasn't there that day. The guys, when they finished, they put on the light. Boom. All the bulbs for bulbs. <laughs> One hand. We had more batteries than bulbs. The batteries were so powerful. And these are all dead batteries, which we recover from the streets. So it happened that each child had to contribute his own bulb because, you know, you find money, somebody you buy your own bulb. We had our own bulbs. So they, they mocked me for, with that thing for months. You know why? They came and said, oh yeah, take your bulb, take your bulb. I said, what happened? That all the other bulbs were burnt. So I said, your mine is not burnt. They said, your own did not burn. Take. I said, please help me test it. <laughs> they said, don't worry, it didn't burn. I said, please help me test it now. The foolish egg bond that I gave it to. He went to that same line. <laughs> Connected my bulb alone. <laughs> what I saw was smoke. <laughs> it didn't explode one time. So, you know, for weeks and months, they were laughing at me. That we gave you your bulb. You insisted on testing it. So anything I do in the house, they say, let us test it. You know, <laughs> it became the joke. You know, like now we say, go and verify. You know, the way we make joke about your hair. It wasn't a joke in the house. If I want to say, okay, please, I say, let us test it. You know, everything became, please test it for me. <laughs> now, they gave this to MIT graduates, degrees in engineering, wearing their academic gowns, graduating from school. And we're looking at the batteries. And that girl was turning up, up and down. They couldn't do it. Yeah, if you tell them about the eddy laws of current and resistance, they knew it. They could calculate, test bulb now. That is why you carry your PhD to Innocence Factory. And the man says, oh boy, you have a PhD from MIT. You'll be able to solve problems for us. Then he drags into the factory. Say, I can design. Hey, hey, hey. We left that one for the Germans. What we want somebody who can correct problems for us is, eh, eh, sir, you see, you see, you see. The man fires you. Six years later, you still don't have a job. So that's one way by which you count things as dung. When the things in your life will prove their donginess. You get my point. Well, but what I'm going to bring out here is this. Don't ever forget it. What God is doing is correcting you. Is repairing you. Or more appropriately, is making you into an image. There's a reason why he called himself the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. If you see that expression in your Bible, only a few times do you see those three names joined together. I used to wonder, why didn't you just say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He hardly did that. It's only once in a while you see it. When he's the one talking, he's careful to say, I am the God of your fathers. We'll now break it down. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And the day I understood that, I realized what he was saying. Is that when you see me in the life of Abraham, I look slightly different, or sometimes significantly different, from what you see when you look at me from the life of Isaac. And if you go to the life of Jacob, you may not even realize they are serving the same God. For example, Jacob called him the fear of Isaac, the dread of Isaac. That is, what marked God out in the life of Isaac was the carefulness, 
the trepidation with which he walked before him. It was so clear. What Isaac went through was different from what Jacob had to go through. According to Oswald Chambers, God did that simply because what he was trying to achieve in both, in all of them is the same thing. The image of Christ being formed. The image of God being formed. But where one is starting from is not where the other is starting from. The natural tendencies, the supplanting nature that came to life with Jacob, you remove it, not the same way you removed that gentle nature that came with Isaac. Or when you call Abraham, look at what he had accomplished. The way you would train him is different from the way you would have to train somebody like Jacob later on. For that reason, he called himself the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And what I'm emphasizing is that the way he would deal with you is different from the way he would deal with me to bring both of us to the same place. Because we're not starting from the same place. Neither do we have the same temperaments and all of that. You know, again, small digression. I've heard it before. I didn't know Christians used to do it. No matchmaking delivers based on temperament. Sanguine will marry choleric. Choleric will not marry... What, what, what are the other ones? Melancholic. And melancholic should be single. <laughs> now, what I'm trying to say is that... No, I'm a funny human being. You know, I'd never read any of those books. Never. When I was in university, it was making the waves. I refused to read them. I didn't understand. You're melancholic, you're choleric, you're phlegmatic. And what's the fourth one? Uh, choleric, phlegmatic, sanguine, sanguine. Yeah, that's the fourth one. Yes. I just didn't understand it. For me, I said, you know why I didn't read those books? Now, I'm not saying she did. Maybe it helped you. Did it help me? I didn't even, I can even know whether it helped me or I didn't read it. And my reason was that we started with new creation realities when we were studying. I was like, all oh, this one are old man. What that old man, that whether sanguine, choleric, you know, generic, whatever it is, it must pass away. <laughs> and everything must become new. It is the focus that matters, not where you are coming from. It's where you are focused. You will get there eventually. Which is why I tell Christians. In fact, something led to it recently. I found out that Christians do that matchmaking. And they say, I don't know how they match it, though. So please don't quote me. Say this choleric connection. Say they're their tam- temperament. I say, eh. No matter your temperament, there's only one thing that matters the fear of God, the love of Christ. Let me beg you don't marry any man or woman who doesn't fear God, who does not respect the word of God. Your life will be frustrated. I'm telling you the truth. No matter how crazy the person appears, once the person trembles at his word, it's a good man, it's a good, good woman. You know what I like about my wife? If I tell you something about my wife, we don't believe it. <laughs> yes. My wife is a rubber woman. I hope you can decode that. And the Lord give you understanding. However, one thing I say about her all the time, if I got to a point in the house, those early days, I was careful not to quote scripture if we were having a, maybe a disagreement or something because I felt it was oppression. Not because of my knowledge. No, that's not it. Well, that's part of it. But the main thing is I knew she would never argue with scripture. Against scripture, never. I've never seen her do it one time. I can make my wife stand on her head by showing where the scripture says, stand on thy head in the presence of thy husband. 
If I just open that screen and say, okay, come, come, come. This one, you are standing on your feet. It's not good. The Bible says, <laughs> if I can show from scripture, the woman will go for gymnastics class. Before you know what's happening, she's walking around the head in the house on her head. Why? It's the word of God. But I've seen people who don't fear. That is, sometimes you look at human. Let me just say, this. if you don't fear God, he will enjoy you. God dislikes those who don't fear him. He doesn't bless them. He wounds them. He undermines anything they are doing. This mercy of God would like to preach. The Bible says everlasting only on those who fear him. One of the grace gospels we preach. Anyway, let me sit on my message. <laughs> it's true. We preach a lot of nonsense. Just want to take God for granted. You don't know the God you are dealing with. Like I always say, the lamb died. The resurrection one is a lion. When you kill the lamb, God raised the lion. Bear it in mind. Don't joke with him. Don't mess with him. If he says something, struggle to obey it. Don't try and explain it away. Find the way by which you conform your life to what he said. That is what is most important to you are single, you are looking for choleric, maleric, whatever it is. Leave that in. The woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You know what he said? Favor is deceitful. He said, beauty is what? Vain. Vain, he said, beauty says vanity. Don't even look at it. What is called charm or favor? What it means that this one is very nice. I like the way she talks. So beauty is vain, vanity, entire vanity. In fact, this is, you know, like I told you, there are things you learn from scripture. There are some you just learn now from experience. Before, I believe beauty is vain from Bible. But now I believe it from Facebook. <laughs> Instagram has taught me beauty is vain. Social media, they've taught me. Beauty is sold in market. Just go and buy it. I've been to weddings before. I came for a wedding. My wife and I went that day. I knew, okay, some family people, that is family of the couple. That's why we came. But I knew the bride. So there was a place where there were many weddings. We were going around. So I look, where is the wedding we are coming for? And I look, I said, it's not this one. <laughs> I didn't know the groom. I knew the groom's family. All right? But I didn't know him personally. But the bride, I knew personally. So I got there, looked at the bride, and I said, no, no, be this one. I went to the next one, no, be this one. So we went around. There were like four or five weddings. He's not here that they are doing the wedding. Finally, one of the people saw me. Ah, good afternoon, sir. I said, I beg, where is your friend wedding? Say this one. I said, it's not possible. I was there before now. <laughs> now, the young woman who I, talk, I spoke with that day happened to be a deeper life girl. And those kind of people, no makeup, nothing in her life. She said, you see, sir, that is why we don't use makeup in our church. I said, that is why, eh? Like, I look at it now. Makeup do not let you recognize your own person. That's what, do you get, that was her point. But I got there. I, I stood, looked. I said, it's not them. I did not recognize the bride. Transformation. <laughs> I'm telling you. One day my wife said, please, one day my, wife, my, my daughter was doing training in makeup, arts, and all of that. So one day said, please, when you are going, I'll pick her up. So I, when I called, okay, okay, wait for me. When I stopped. <laughs> my daughter has used her face for experiment. I still have the picture today. I couldn't delete the picture. I said, now you be this. 
So this is one, you know, from experience, I've now learned what the Bible says. Beauty is vain. It can be bought, it can be sold. Just enter market or buy it, use it. When you are tired, you remove it. So Solomon said, no, not Solomon. One of the writers of Proverbs anyway said, beauty is vain. But this is another point. He said, charm is deceitful. That one is not vain. It's deceitful. What he meant by that, okay, is that when you see a woman, she's very nice. Ah, she's very humble. She never raise her voice against her husband or a man. This is how she greets everybody. Good afternoon, sir. She can cook. She can take care of you. That's what the Bible calls charm or favor. He says it's what? Deceitful. That Jezebel can look like that. There are some chief priestesses of some shrines. That's how they behave. Very nice. He said, leave all that, you know. The one who fears the Lord is the one that will be praised. You know why? If you fear God, those other things will be added unto them. Anyone who fears God. So bear it in mind, please. Fear of God is what you look for. That focuses you in one direction. And the longer the person lives in that fear of God, the more the individual becomes like Christ Jesus. And there is no wife or husband better than the one that looks like Christ Jesus. It's better to endure the rough one for the first few years as he or she is maturing to Christ-likeness than to marry Jezebel, who's worshipping idols. Let me tell you something about Jezebels. You know how you know Jezebel? You want to know how to know Jezebel? You know the Greek church? They always have an excuse for not coming for church programs. When it coincides, when they, when they inject people from Big Brother, the program can wait. And then the phone is in their hand. They are scrolling on Instagram. That's how you know Jezebel's. When it's a stream, somebody is preaching. So I'll listen to it later. But right now, they are, they are doing something in the house. You know the house? The Big Brother house. Bro, say God spoke to me to marry her. You didn't hear well. Your ear is not working. So the God says, God, I will come back to hear you again. Because this one, I'm not marrying Jezebel for anybody. Jezebel is not whether you use makeup or you don't use makeup. Some people, when you say you look like Jezebel, you can't look like Jezebel. Because Jezebel is a spirit. It's in the heart. There are Jezebels that don't use makeup. For some, I've, I've heard of, I don't know personally, but I've heard of Jezebels who go to churches like, you know, Deeper Life, what's the name of that? Our Chosen, they go to Chosen. You know, they go to MFM, but they are evil spirits. They only go to dress conservatively to deceive people. I'm telling you. So how do you know Jezebel? Once the person doesn't have respect for the word of God, I don't care. That is a Jezebel. That's how you, find, that's how you identify Jezebels. Once they are worshipping something apart from Christ and his word, that's a Jezebel. And it's a matter of time they will manifest. Like I said, it's an aside. That's not the main thing I'm discussing. All right? It's just for those who do sanguine, you know, choleric, generic, all those things. Please leave that thing. The main thing you need is a man, a woman who fears God, who trembles at his word. That's what you need. So like I was saying, so what God does is take each one of us and start working on us until we become like Christ Jesus. God 
That's how he solves problems. That was what Jesus had as a problem in Israel when he came. When he came to Judea at that time, Israel was under oppression. Of course, northern Israel had disappeared. Judah was there, oppressed by the Romans. Just like, I mean, a lot of us feel oppressed all the time. Sometimes Nigerians feel oppressed. I'm wondering, who's oppressing you? They say the government. Nigeria doesn't have a, there's no group called the government. It's who is in power each time. And they will soon go. And that group will come. Somebody says, the system. I said, what is system? It's not the same people that make systems. I mean, we, you and I are the system. And when you see what the small, small people on the road are doing. Anyway, let's not, let me not start politics. <laughs> but the point is, is, look, people feel oppressed. They feel oppressed. Okay? So Israel was under real oppression, not just feeling. The Romans were ruling over them, and they were lording it over them. It wasn't just ruling, you were not nice. They were lording it over them. They conquered them, you must understand that. So what they were looking for was a Messiah. What did the Israelites call a Messiah? A man like David. David, in his days, fought all the enemies of the people of God and conquered them. And established an empire beyond the borders of Israel. People were submitting to David. The Edomites would send him, you know, um, royalties. He was lord over the Ammonites. Everybody around. You could, if you dead him, he sent Joab after you. That's how powerful the man was. So they lived in peace. They lived in peace. The only problems they had were internal problems. Civil war. Absalom trying to take over from his father. Stuff like that. Then David died. Solomon took over. God helped him with wisdom. Killed off all the adversaries. There was so much peace. That prosperity. Because in Hebrew, you must understand the word peace and prosperity. The same thing. Prosperity was everywhere. Everybody prospered. They built that magnificent temple. And look, Solomon had a great house for himself. All the princes of Israel, they had great houses for themselves. So that's what they called a Messiah. Who will bring us the days of David? Who will fight off all these our enemies and then establish us in prosperity? Now when Jesus came, that's why I'm talking about it. They began, of course, they were praying for a long time. And that's one of the things that Mark, what God about, is about to do. When people begin to pray intensely about some things. So they were praying. You know, people like Hannah were in the temple. All right. Simeon was there. And all over the place they were praying. And then prophecies began to show. And then one day Jesus came and they said, is this the one we have been waiting for? And of course, Revelation. Yes, it's the one. The son of God. That's the son. You know what they kept on waiting for? The day he will wear the Davidic anointing and drive out the Romans, and all the oppressors. This interesting part. Three years and more, Peter and Co. were with him. They were still waiting for that. After resurrection, what did they ask him? Will you at this time now restore? No, that's it. Why did they reject Jesus, I will tell you. It's simply because Jesus was not repairing the situation. He was trying to repair the people. Yeah, that was the problem. So, you are oppressed. Maybe your boss is a very wicked person. You're working for him. Then Jesus comes there and tells you, you lazy worker. Ah, uh-uh. What did you say? Work hard so you can please God by pleasing your boss. Say, sir, do you realize this man, we went on strike for three months, he didn't pay. I'm an asu member. 
You know, that's what, that's the, that was the problem. He kept on throwing this thing back at them. When he was now going to preach his sermon on the mount, that famous sermon on the mount, one of the things he told them is that if they ask you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What he was talking about the Roman soldier. It's like, well, this man stop you on the road, and there's nothing wrong with your car. He decides that you're supposed to have CMR. He said, what is CMR? Police never do that one to you before. So you have CMR. He said, what is CMR? Then you are there arguing about it. He said, you are not going unless you drop something. Jesus, how much did he ask you for? He asked for a thousand dollars. I said, give him two. He said, excuse me. No, this is not right. Jesus said, I'm aware. <laughs> I said, give him two. So when they say, go with me one mile, what they meant is that if you carry my load, follow me for one mile. He said, no, tell her, okay, soldier, no need now. Where I'm going is not too far. Let me carry for two miles. He told the people, submit yourselves to your oppressors. The zealot said, something was wrong with this guy. And you see, these days I'm getting more understanding by the day, of course. I understood part of the principle that Jesus was using for them. They didn't understand it. The more you are oppressed, the quicker you are to deliverance. The closer you are to deliverance. Because oppression that you don't deserve activates judgment against the oppressor. Yeah, it does, it does, it does. So anytime you're struggling against the oppressor, God holds his hand and is looking at you. So when you finish, let's see what you can achieve. So he says the quickest way, all right, to get God to move on your path is to submit to oppression. And if you go and read it, you know, and that means, you know, there's almost nothing Jesus taught that he did not explain before under what you call the Old Testament. That thing is in the Lamentations of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had explained it. That was what he was saying when he said, it's good for a young man to bear his body in the days of his youth. He said, if God, if God put his face there, say, let them be slapping. He said, let him stay there. Why? He said, peradventure, God will have mercy. But what God does is this. He tells the oppressor, you can slap him five times. By the fifth time, the oppressor is enjoying the slap. What he does not know is that God said five. So he dashes the guy's sixth slap. God marks it against the oppressor. He dashes the guy's seventh slap. God marks it again. By the time he gives the fellow the eighth slap, God said three slaps, too many. Kill the oppressor. Kill his family. Kill his friends. Kill everybody. <laughs> kill everybody. He said, why, Lord? He said, he slapped a man that was not worthy of slap. He said, but, I said five slaps. I said five slaps. The sixth slap was one slap, too many. The seventh one, you're provoking me. By eight one, my anger was overflowing. Read it. That's what God does. And when God wants to judge me, that's what he does. He said, ah, this would have persecuted my people. What do I do? I want to punish them. He said, but the cup is not full. He said, so send them more prophets. They will persecute. Some of them they will kill. He said, when they do that, the cup will now be full. Then the rust that have been packing since Cain killed Abel. Do you get my point? Yes, the one that Cain killed Abel, the anger was packed somewhere. They killed all the prophets. God was watching. So finally, they added the new Christians to it. God said, good. Now pour forth my wrath upon the people. And the, the weapon of wrath was the Romans. They came in and killed everybody in Jerusalem. See, is that principle Jesus was using? Provoke God against your oppressor. You can't fight the one who's greater than you. You can't successfully fight him. So what do you do? Provoke God. See, if you understand the principle of submission, not just about marriage now, about life. 
is, is the way of getting God on your side. Because God has some rules established in the universe. If there's a strong man and there's a weak man, he's always a friend to the weak one. It's a law. He comes to a society, widows, orphans, strangers. That's where you find me. Those are the people I defend. If you have a father, I say, call your father. If you are not, a, if you are a homeboy, go to the village meeting and complain. Do you get my point? When you're a stranger, there's nobody to help you. The rich, hey, you know what God says? He, he takes the life of those who oppress such people that don't have help. Those who kidnap children eh, are some of the, are going to the hottest part of hell. Tell you the truth. Once you take advantage of somebody's weakness, God makes you his personal enemy. I mean, that he doesn't send the devil against you. He comes by himself. Because some major say, let's go and fight. Who are you going to fight? That guy. He's an oppressor. Can't you send two demons? No, 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 no. I have to do this one myself. That's how God behaves. Though. If he's an oppressor, call the guy and say, oh boy, you don't know what you are doing. When I look at people, I say, do you, do you, they give you small power. You used to oppress people. Yesterday, I, you know, there was one experience I had not been there. Somebody was running around for me. You know this, uh, this MOT kind of people? Not in any good here. Instead of putting no turning, they hide the sign. So they can turn and they can collect money from you. You know, go and check the life of anybody that does that. They can never prosper for long in life. If you see them elevated, it's so that they can get higher before they fall. See, please get me. The judgment comes upon them and their household. Anybody doesn't give a life to Christ there and delivers himself from that judgment. God hates oppressors. He personally hates oppressors. He hates them. You know the man is traveling. So he parks somewhere. You could have put no parking sign there. But you go and wait because you know he will not know. They will now block him. At the end of the day, he gives you 25,000 naira. And God said, the problem I will give you if they give you 25 million, you'll not be able to solve it. Back to the main message. So God repairs people. He came to Israel through John. And he says, repent. That's the key. Your problems will be solved by repentance. Your problem will not be solved by zealotry. That's why, you know, Nigeria is preparing for election. Today's Nigerians Independence Day. I feel sorry for Christians. I said, you are joining this nonsense campaign. That the key... Is our PVC. I said, okay, continue. Just continue. You don't understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The spirits you are contending with, they manufacture PVCs. I'm telling you, they have the, you don't get it. You are contending against spiritual forces and you think you can mobilize with your PVC to kill them out of power. <laughs> Okay, let, me not, let me not start political talk now. The point I'm making is that that was what they were doing in Israel. And Jesus came and said, that's not the way. He first sent John to them. John came preaching what? A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That all this, your troubles, is iniquity. That's what I said earlier. No matter the trouble, you see, whether it is great or small. Whether you can identify somebody or you can't identify somebody. That is physically, I don't mean the witches. I always like to digress when I get to this point. Anybody seeing witch for you, you know, you go to church, the pastor begins to prophesy. 
persons who are afflicting somebody in your family, I say to you by the Spirit of God, that is a false prophet. Let me see this. There are different kinds of false prophets. There are prophets that are false and they don't know they are false. They think they are prophesying. They actually see visions. They are still false. I'll tell you about them in a moment. But there are some, which is the commoner one we have in Nigeria. They don't see visions. They are just smart people. They came to do business. They will tell you anything to bring that offering out of your pocket. That's all. Both of them are all over the society. The ones that are just lying clearly are the easiest ones to identify. But the dangerous ones are the ones that actually see visions. Visions can be lies. I hope you get my point. Visions can be lies. I've heard all kinds of testimonies about visions, and they're all lies. And the person seeing the vision does not realize he's lying. He actually thinks he's telling the truth. He thinks so. Why? He saw the vision. I will say this to surprise many people. Remember the witch at Endo? Did you see any salmon? Didn't see any salmon. So, but the Bible says, mm, the Bible recorded accurately for us what happened. You know, Saul didn't see anybody. No, Saul didn't see anybody. Saul asked her, What did you see? Yeah. Yeah. See, I see an old man. This one, like this. And then describing that. I say, Is that how Saul somewhere dresses in heaven? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it's coming from. He didn't see any sound. He said, what did he see? He saw a lying spirit. That's the boy prophesied accurately. What was the summary of that prophecy? The spirit of Saul left him. Go and check it. The effect, because you read your scriptures. You see, God told the prophets that, uh, before Micaiah, that is the one that presented to Ahab and um, Jehoshaphat. Yes. Micaiah said it. I saw them. God told them, what are you going to do? I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. So those prophets were under inspiration. Those prophets were under inspiration. And what was the aim? He said, I want them to go to, I want him to go to Ramos Gilead so that he might perish there. So the spirit said, I will be a lying spirit to guide him to his doom. And God said, go ahead. It's the same principle. When it was time to bring out Samuel. So what do we use to discourage this person so he can die tomorrow in battle? Because, you see, even when, though God wants to kill somebody, valiant warriors may be able to survive. So God said, remove his spirit. So when he goes to battle, he will die. So that spirit just told him, tomorrow, you are dying. And Saul laid down there and couldn't get up. The witch had to beg him, persuade him to eat. And she made food for him and the men who were with him. But she had taken his spirit away. By the time he was leaving, he left there a defeated man. He had lost. He had lost. There was no chance in the middle he was going to win that battle. So, look, don't let any spirit be deceiving you that they are seeing visions. They saw. They saw. They saw. I say to you again. See, let me tell you, normally when Christians come for a prophecy, eh? spirits, they take careful. So by the time they are talking that nonsense to you, they have conspired. They have conspired. Because you, you, you must understand something. The life of the believer eh, is covered by the blood of Jesus, literally. So those priests can only lie. What can they see? They can't see anything. What they do is lie. What they do is lie. And they see lies accurately. The fact that they are seeing visions. Visions can lie. You no, know, there's a illustration I use all the time. You know, it's very beautiful. It's from Derek Prince. He was casting out a familiar spirit from a woman. 
The woman used to practice divination. So, she gave her life to Christ, I think. Anyway, time to minister. I said, no, this spirit has to leave. Of course, she understood that. As he began to pray, of course, you know, the spirit will come from wherever he's hiding. And, and then by the time he, the spirit came out, what was the manifestation? The woman saw a vision. And just stopped the man. He said, I see you in a car that was wrecked around a tree. She saw a vision that the prince died in a car crash. Clear vision. She wasn't joking. She saw it clearly. What did the man of God say? The man of God said, that's the plan of the devil. I don't work in the plan of the devil. See, there are things he will tell me if I go home and pray about them. Things like that. God will punish me. Tell me that kind of nonsense. I just check. Whose wife did I take? It's true. Let me quickly return her now. Because which evil am I doing? No, really. That's what I do. I check. I say, God, this word we are preaching, I hope it is accurate. I wasn't supposed to be preaching at all. I check all of those things. That, that I'm asking the Lord is good enough for him. Sincerely. I will not change my... People now say, for that reason, don't travel. There was a day they said that uh, the general of Asia said that that's a redeem. Pastor Yadipo, he said that nobody should wear red that day. I said he wasn't talking to me. I'm going to wear any color I bloody care about. A few days later, redeem released a statement that he never said so. I said it doesn't matter. It didn't, I didn't, it didn't bother me. If you say you saw vision, for that reason I shouldn't travel, I will have to go and ask God. Because God warned Jeremiah, if you are afraid of them, I will disgrace you before them. A lot of people have been disgraced because they feared man more than they feared God. Yeah. You can't use visions to tell me where to go, where not to go. You can only use visions to tell me how to live the life of Christ. And I've had dreams, revelations, things like that. Every single one of them, they've corrected me. I was telling some of you guys here a few weeks ago, where we have to be urgent in business. It was because of a dream I had. And as soon as I woke up, I saw the interpretation in scripture. Through idleness of hand, the building decays. The rafters fall through. Because I had a vision or a dream of the night, a vision of the night, like say a dream, in which rafters were falling through. Do you understand? It was raining at every, ah, I woke up. What is going on here? The scripture dropped in my head. I realized that I have more to do than I am doing currently. And I was doing that time. I, I you know, that's why you wake up one day, I've released another book. I don't know how many of you have read them, Let Us Agree. I had to push it out. God helped me over the next few days, weeks. How to be filled with the Spirit. That was almost finished also. I push it. I anyone that comes, I sit down and put it down. Visions can correct me. So you can't tell me, um, that road, don't go again. You can't travel. And you'll be controlling your life like that. You're under bondage. There are all kinds of false, false prophets see visions. A lot of people think that false prophets don't see visions. They see visions. There was one prophet I used to see that time. <laughs> My wife said, why do you watch this guy so much? I said, I'm trying to place him. The first day I got good evidence to place him was from Sadhu Salvaraj. He said, number one false prophet of Africa. He gave us his name. He's not in Nigeria. Then recently I stumbled into one video where your... Cousin, Abi, is he your, your guy for worry? The messy guy. Yes. The guy invited him, and the two of them were ministering together. I said, confirmation. 
confirmation. And what did they use to say? Come, come, let me deliver you. I said, you want to deliver me? <laughs> let me deliver you. That's what he was saying. <laughs> False prophets, one by one. His host was the one that said he was, he was delivering one woman. He said, you are monitoring your husband. You are monitoring your husband. Hey, you are monitoring your husband. Men are hunters. I said, huh? What has that got to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I saw a congregation of thousands gathered, listening to a man who was fooling himself and fooling the person he was ministering to. That's what false prophets do. False prophets point fingers at people. They help you identify who is your problem. They don't focus on you, and that is what the problem is. They don't focus on you, and that's what I'm going to emphasize. That what does Jesus do? Rather, what does the Holy Spirit do? What do they rather do? Is they focus on you. You come to Israel with oppression of Romans, and it says, submit to oppression. Ah, excuse me. Submit to oppression. Why? That's not the real problem. The yoke is destroyed, not by the anointing like people say, but by fatness, fattening. When your neck is too big for a yoke, the yoke will break. And sometimes, you'll be surprised, oppression is actually a blessing. It focuses the mind. It fo- See, in all honesty, I don't like this, but it's the truth. Now, what I'm about to say. I try my best to study scripture. I listen to messages almost all the time. Occasionally, I remember to do music, but after playing one or two songs, I've discontinued. I put a preacher again. I, I drove yesterday. I went to a server. If you're, if you're filming me, you, you wonder, is this guy okay? There are times I will burst into laughter. I'm listening to a preacher. And it's, you know, he says some things. I, I will laugh so hard, I almost close my eyes while driving. I listen to messages a lot. When I want to fall asleep, I use a message to fall asleep. Then I lie down. Sleep is not coming. So I just go through my this thing. Click. Put it on my chest. Uh-huh. Amen. Praise God. Sometimes I listen to the Bible. I do that a lot. Almost all the time. It's quite constant with me. And I also try to pray. Pray with the children. <laughs> Tell you. I try. No. No. So they pray for five hours, bros. I know. <laughs> when did they talk me? I don't know. Then they, they, they try. I should confess now. Should I be lying to you? Now, this is where I'm going. With all my love for God and listening to the scriptures, there is no time I, I pray as intensely as when there is a problem. There's none. When there's an issue at hand. When there's an issue at hand. Haba. I have the habit of rising up, rising up at night. I told you. Around 2 a.m. Whether I want to sleep or not, the sleep will just wake me. The sleep will wake me up. Say, bros, wake up. When there's an issue at hand, I'm usually very lucid, clear-headed. Describe everything. That is, God is usually clearer at that time than any other time. When there's an issue at hand. Being honest with you, I, that is, understanding is clearer. Last year, when I was away from here for about a month because I was very ill, See, when I recovered, my head was clear. I don't know. <laughs> when David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. I knew what he was talking about. He said, now I obey your word. That's what the Bible calls the heartfelt, continued prayer 
of the righteous that avails much. Heartfelt. I'm using the amplified rendering now. All right, when James was speaking, he says that the 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 the, the, the fervent. How does he say normal? The effectual fervent prayer. Go and read the amplified. He said the heartfelt continued. I like the word heartfelt. There's nothing that push. Jesus was doing all kinds of miracles. He would pray all night to choose disciples. When they say go to the cross, he bled. Time to go to the cross. That's Jesus. So who am I? He went to the cross, to the garden, got on his knees. You know, sometimes, sorry, I don't mean to be critical. See that groaning you are putting on? Let's begin to groan. <clears throat> you never see trouble. I'm telling you. You can't practice groaning. You can't practice groaning. Groaning groans you. <laughs> when matter comes, you will first speak your English, finish the English. Then speak in tongues, you know, go catch. He say, Father, <clears throat> <laughs> God say, I hear you. <laughs> I'm telling you. So sometimes that's why God leaves us there. He said, look, I, I, you know, I tell the Lord sometimes, take it easy now. You know what I almost hear him say is that, Frankie, when I take it easy, you know they hear. So I now, I now pray like, I say, Lord, just be gentle. Do a small, small. Not just, ah, uh-uh. ah. Do a small, small. And talk now. I have people, he said, but, you know, when I talk, when I, they talk, some books, you say they can't talk. You start, start quoting scripture. Lord, what are you saying? Don't worry. It won't be too much. I could just press you small. So anytime I feel small pressure, it's always I look inward first. If I say this, you surprise some people. I almost start manufacturing sins I did not commit. It's not sin consciousness. I want to be sure. Are we being corrected? Because you see, most times for believers, is that correction God is going after? I will meditate. In fact, I had to pray at the time. I told the Lord, please, I hope I'm not just being over, you know, being suspicious of myself too much. Because I have realized that Christians often rebuke when they should be repenting. I rebuke the devil. God said, listen, when I wanted to handle this matter, I didn't invite the devil. It's just me and you. So when you shall rebuke the devil, the devil said, I'm not there. I'm not there. I didn't come. You and your father's calling. What didn't concern me. You rebuke the, it's like in Nigeria and people are rebuking the devil, rebuking the devil, rebuking the devil. I said, this devil that we are rebuking in this country, and we will discuss where it is. It's not where you think it is. The devil walks by going around talking to us. The devil doesn't control the weather, doesn't control the storm, does not control the earthquake. He doesn't. What does the devil do? He talks to people. Has God really said, thou shall love thy neighbor as thyself, even when he's a stupid man. So it's true. Why? I mean, when a man is in love, he's in love. doesn't matter whether the woman is married to somebody else or not. It's true. Do whatever makes you happy. You know, that's what they preach abroad. Love those countries. That's what Satan does. When, and listen, he will explain it to you. Like I keep on saying, when people murmured against God and against Moses, it was pressure. They didn't just wake up in the morning and say, Oh boy, Mo released album. What do you call it? Momo. 
So your children begin to mumble, Moses, you did what you the world do, Moses, what in the world do you, Moses. They were not producing the album. What happened was that they were hungry. They were thirsty. They had had pressure. That was why they murmured against God and against Moses. What am I trying to say? Those who disobey God also does it. It's usually pressure. Now, when pressure is going on, now please listen to this. Anytime there's pressure, eh? Satan wants to take advantage of it. Let me really say this. You make your decision for righteousness. You decide what you are going to do is this because you've learned from scripture. Maybe you're, you're working to say, I will never take a bribe and stuff like that. The result of that vow, or, or, or is that, of that determination, is not a blessing, it's temptation. When you say, I won't take a bribe, and your colleagues, your friends are doing it, your salary is small, one bribe like this, you earn one more salary. Three bribes, that's three more. Do you get my point? So, your mates in that place, they are doing things you can't afford. So you say, no, I will not do that. Let me tell you what's going to happen. The first time they pay that small salary, immediately something will happen. A child will fall sick. You go to hospital, the doctor says, admission fee is half of a month's salary. Or you are going, one mechanic forgot to tighten one knot under your engine, and you say you are not very careful. Then you oil drain, then your car stops somewhere. Then you call the mechanic, they look at it, they check, say, ah, okay, I say this engine we need overhaul. Actually, let's just buy another one. Your car is not the latest model, so your engine is not too expensive. You call the engine, it may bring 400000 What did you say? You say, oh God, no, this is your engine now. This is the shape. This one is the S shape, not the straight one. They tell you one kind of long grammar. It's called temptation. So, you say, can you tow the car? I said, say, tow it to my house. You tow it there. You pack it. I'm driving comfortably around as a married man with children. Now, you can't. You, you, you know what's going on? That determination is being te- tested. Now, this is where I'm going. This is how to annoy heaven. You know, why does this happen to the righteous? Is it because we want to save you? Before I began to go to that church and they were saying we should obey the word of God, I wasn't having problems like this. Oh. He said we should confess, 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 confess. This morning I confessed, I have favor. I have favor. I have favor. <laughs> You, you've confessed all the favor for the day. Then what did you get? Trouble, trouble, trouble. Listen to me. What is being tested is that determination. So this is how you handle it, and heaven will be pleased. First thing you do, you kneel down and say, Lord, I want to tell you that I have laid my body on the altar as a living sacrifice, and these hands will not receive bribes. My members are instruments of righteousness. If I perish, let me perish. Just say that first. That's her God. Well, I do. You have told him flat. We're not going near that one. That's the temptation. You told him flat. You see, because that's why this, that's why Satan came. That's the only thing Satan can do. He has to test that resolve. And God needs him to test the resolve to be sure of the kind of person he's dealing with. And more importantly, for him to be able to demonstrate for everybody the kind of children he has. I know God likes to brag. His bragging is on his children. 
You know, God likes to brag on his children. Oh, he does. He does. He was one that started bragging with uh, Job. A man who has choose evil, who loves God. There's nobody like him. When he finished tempting Abraham, you know what he did? He jumped up. He said, who? Hmm? By myself. He wanted to say, I swear by Almighty God. <laughs> they quickly reminded himself that I'm the Almighty God. So he said, who? Eh? By myself, I have in blessing, I will bless you. Yeah. He likes to... So, one thing that that happened... And please, let's understand something. You must know what God is bragging on. What is bragging on is that despite these challenges, you will not alter this determination. You will not alter this faith. You will not alter this doctrine that I have explained to you by my spirit. Because if there are no challenges, everybody will do what is right. I mean, why would you go and bribe um, maybe a $10? You know what I'm saying? These are guys who are billionaires counting in U.S. dollars. Now I want to bribe him with one million naira. I mean, that's not a temptation. That's an insult. So, God, please, I want you to employ these people in your company. So, just hold something. <laughs> and he looks at it. What is it? You bring an envelope and you think you are done well. You put $10,000 inside. And the man looks at it, you know. Bursting, you know, he bursts into laughter. If he was like, okay, thank you for the help. We brought a gift. You know, it's different. Like, you want him to pervert justice. You want him to do you a favor. You now first slide $10,000 in an envelope towards him. He will look at it. Do I look like a delegate? <laughs> what am I trying to say? Is need that presses people. That's how you can bribe them. Is need. So that is why it is at that point God tests those who are serious and those who are not. So when you have challenges in life, first look at the determinations you have made. Those determinations you have made and tell yourself, I'm not bending on them. Please, God is faithful, amen? amen? But please, I want to explain something again. When you want to obey the, the, the Lord, obey the word of God, eh? Have death in front of you. Not deliverance. I pray you understand me. The problem with a lot of people is that their obedience is predicated on God being faithful to deliver. So they say, let's go and sacrifice Isaac. Yeah, we're going to sacrifice Isaac. They bring out the sword. Isaac, you're going to be sacrificed. Ah, God, tell me to stop now. Isaac! Ah! And they want an angel to hold the hand and say, no, don't touch the young lad. I'm killing him right now. Ah. I'm about to kill him. I said, you say you just sit down there. They all kill you for nothing. <laughs> That's what we are thinking. That's what they are thinking. That's what I wrote in my book, Great Faith Can Be Yours. I said, sometimes Isaacs die. You want God, you know, you don't want Isaac to die. When Jesus came, did he not die? Do you get my principle here? A lot of people, their faith is predicated on this. And they say that is faith. I've seen people teach it that, look, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew God would deliver them. And that's why they refuse to bow. Let it be like this. I don't believe it. I read it up and down. It doesn't conform with that spirit. 
And I said, no, you see, what he said is that, okay, we'll not bow. If we, I said, no, I've heard that thing. I've heard different explanations. I've heard that thing. The people have explained and explained. I said, no, if you understand the principle, it's called they did not love their lives even when faced with death. Abraham was not predicating, his faith was not predicated upon the fact that God would tell him not to strike Isaac. His faith was even that I strike him. God will still fulfill his promise. How will he do it? Well, he has to raise him from the dead. But he was going to kill Isaac. He wasn't waiting to be held. Don't kill him. He wa- See, he, as far as the spirit was concerned, Isaac was dead. Many people would like to obey God. No, like, he will come through. He will come through. They will, they will, maybe you are in an office. He said, no, if we do what is right, we won't be sacked. Please, before you make up your mind to do what is right, just go home, tell your family, there's a high chance today's my last day at work. So when the cable TV subscription expires, I may not be renewing it. Because we're trying to manage for the lean days ahead. By the way, you know I had ordered a new car for mommy. I've called the supplier to return my money. <laughs> he said, he will charge me 5%. I said, no problem. Just bring my money first. I have bought plenty of gari. Very dry one, so no mold can enter it. Why? Because my people, I'm going to work today. They've thrown the gauntlet. Now, is that how they say it? Yes. The line has been drawn. And I've made up my mind what I will not do. I'm going to get fired, very likely. You know, many of us are like, no, you can't fire me. What well, the Lord has done, shall be forever. The Lord gave me this job. Yeah, confess, confess, confess. When you get it, when you see the sack letter, you look, God. You are a faithful God now. And that sack letter to you is a sign of unfaithfulness. What I teach Christians is this, eh? Get, see, when you obey the Lord, don't have deliverance in front of you. Have death in front of you. That this is going to lead to death. Leave it like that. So that when it delivers, you say, eh, Lord, you decide to deliver. Fine. You, say, you claim your deliverance by faith. Not from consequences of righteousness. No. What the Bible calls faith is faithfulness in that context. That no matter what, no matter what. I'm not saying God does not deliver. Did I say that? I just said, when you want to do right, do it as a sentence of death. They say, look, in this place we change figures. Say, I know they change figures. You just get fired. Yes, let me get fired. The way we teach faith sometimes is as if, no, no, nothing like that will happen. Something like that happens. We think it's everybody that God delivered in the Bible. Go and read Revelation, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. He said, men actually rejected deliverance. Why? They were going, they were looking forward towards a better resurrection. They said, no, 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 this one, if it was to die. Esther gave us that statement. We should never forget it. If I perish, let me perish. If it is perishing, let us perish. This faith that wants to preserve our lives. Jesus says, the reason why we will lose it. I hope you're getting my point. So Satan, that's all he, I wanted to just drop that. That's all he has, okay, to talk to people, to tempt them. He doesn't have the kind of power people, you know I say that all the time. 
So what does God do to solve our problems? He repairs us. I don't care what the problem looks like or who you think is causing it. Whether it's the economy, you know, people have said, like I said all the time, do you know how you know who you worship? Who you talk about the most, thank you. There are three persons being worshipped by Christians now in our country. And the most important person on that list does not share it. So we have to wipe him out of the list. Is it God? Okay, let's just put the list. Is it true God, our Father? Who else do they worship? The head of state, Muhammad Buhari, president. And last of all, the devil. No, the devil. They worship the devil. Every problem in their life, devil, devil, devil. Devil said I will not prosper. Devil said I won't get a job. Devil said I won't have, uh, I won't not marry. Devil said, devil, devil, everything devil said, devil now took my car. And then when I were now going, devil now put the car in the gutter. And then angels brought it out. Devil put it back again. And then. <laughs> I hear things like I knew the devil was up to something. What happened? Decide the kind of money. It didn't start. It said the devil is up to something. Your motor did not start. The devil is up to something. You apply for a job. They didn't employ it. The devil is up to something. I said, there are things you don't hear from my mouth. Which devil? Is he high on something? You know when you know the devil is up to something? I've said it before. It's when temptation increases. I hope you're getting my point. Yes. When you sit down, as a young woman, find your woman in the office and a married man is giving you gifts and is calling you at odd hours, the devil is up to something. I hope you're getting my point. Yeah, the devil is up to something. The devil is up to something. Like one man, was, one man of God was invited for a meeting. He said, to accept the invitation, we'll give you, I forgot exactly, I think something like six million, I can't remember, but let's just, to make it easy, give you five million naira. To accept, the, listen, I'm here preaching, I'm here. Pastor Banky, please. It's not me. I'm not saying I'm the one. So, if I'm the one, I'll know the exact figure. <laughs> so, imagine you have, Pastor Bank, we have a meeting for men, you know. Um, they can even be bishops. Because there are different kinds of bishops in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. They, no, I'm telling you, there are, there are all kinds of bishops. Hey, I'm not talking politics here. I'm just talking. Because I, I know why you are laughing. There are scriptures you can't even quote anymore now because. I saw one man quote scripture. He said, if you are willing and obedient, the church scatter. <laughs> so, if I come for the good of the land, I cannot quote that scripture. If you are willing and obedient, you the good of the land. <laughs> they, they, they have, they have, they have, you know, you, you should stop talking scripture. So, we have to now, for obedience, now we have to go to Deuteronomy 10, 28. That shall happen to the voice of the Lord thy God. One could have just simply said, obedient. <laughs> so, when I said bishop, now I actually meant, they are, I don't mean no. <laughs> now, so look, it can even be bishops. There are all kinds. They told the man, if you accept to come for our meeting, we'll give you five million naira. Just not for coming, for accepting to come. And when you do come, we are going to discuss some things if you agree. All right? We won't discuss how much now. But if you don't agree, but that you came to give you 30 million. You didn't agree. We don't know what we're going to discuss. But that you came for the meeting like you promised. We give you 30 million. Now let me just imagine that if you now agree, we'll start talking from, it's not 100. Accepting five, coming 30, 
agreeing should be like at least a hundred million, which should be coming regularly. I know at times like they know this politics is hot now. Those guys who give that money, they will. I mean, like, if somebody just say, hey, Pastor Panky, you know what you are preaching? Just explain that this is what they, just explain that there's nothing wrong with Muslim Muslim tickets. Now, I'm not saying anything is wrong. I'm just giving an example. Say, if a pastor can say it, if I tell you guys, I broadcast on 24 radio stations, I'll just drop it along the line, just in passing. They'll give you 100 million. Forget. These are guys who are buying forms like, 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 like jam phone, thank you. <laughs> they just buying the forms anyhow. Like somebody said, some people were buying delegates, some people were buying candidates. So, do you want to be a candidate? Go and collect for. Oga, just go and collect for. Tell them I said you should collect for. And wire them a hundred million. So, to have a preacher, just add it along the line. They will pay the money. Now, you see where I'm going. So, that kind of person, that is why you say the devil is up to something. Once that offer comes, people of God, the devil is up to something. Don't forget it. That is when, and some people, please, I need to explain this. Some people say, ah, Chibi, you have not agreed. Just collect their five million now. This is how it goes. Usually, you think you are smart. Think you are a wise one, eh? There's no problem. You collect that five million. What you don't know is that as you collected the five million, the first evil spirit entered the house, sat on your right shoulder, and is talking to you, my brother. See how this five million has helped your life and your ministry. Just go for the meeting. There's nothing. Are they going to kill you? Just go. They give you the 30 million. You tell them no. Satan is very, very smart. Satan is like a wedge. You know what they call wedge? Simple tools. Wedge. When you want to split something open, the tip must be sharp. That 5 million is a wedge. It's the tip of the wedge. The 30 million is the upper part. As you are taking each one, they are splitting you open. Listen, from what I understand, if you go for that meeting, you will agree. Now, the point I'm making is that that is when the devil is up to something. It is not when there is trouble around. It's not when your car did not start. That's not it. It is when temptation heightens. When more, more pressure has been applied to you to do that which is wrong. You can say, my car did not start. The devil is up to something. If you are thinking of blasphemy with your mouth. You can say, I will still praise God. You can say that, but to tell me that, ah, hey, this, this morning, I have an appointment in the office. The devil is up to something. Nonsense. Because just as God can give you a car to take you there on time, so can he stop your car from going there because he does not want you to go? People have the impression that the God only gives. He also takes. He has taken things from me before. I'll just, I'll just laugh. I'll just say, Lord, Kai. One day, the Lord took something material from me in a few hours. Material. I kept something somewhere, and it disappeared. I felt like the angel. What's your problem? Why did you take that? I didn't have a shadow of doubt in me that an angel came and took it. Not a shadow of doubt. Something led to it. it was, I just said a prayer about something. Are you getting my point? And next moment, the thing I prayed about, I looked for where I kept it. It wasn't there. Ah, I searched everywhere. Nobody entered this room apart from me. 
It was only a hotel room, so it's not like somebody, nobody else, not as if I, I went out, then they cleaned the room. No. I prayed in the evening, locked myself in. In the morning, I looked for something I kept somewhere. I never found it again. I ransacked. Ah! I can't give you details because some people may misunderstand. Look, Lord, I kept this. Now, when I say, Lord, now, wow. I just prayed about this thing yesterday evening, and you collected it today. God collects. God collects. You can have money, God will just shut the bank down. Say, this is my boy. This is how you won't do ministry. Things that, you know, some people think once you have money, ministry will be big. It's not, it's not true. Say, this one, the guy will be misled. He said, he's still preaching nonsense. If I put this nonsense on radio, you will get a bad name. <laughs> yeah, he takes. The Lord also takes. Now, what I'm going to say. So, when God wants to solve problems, he solves us. He does not solve the problem first. He solves us. When he wanted to create heaven everywhere, when he wanted to bring paradise down to the earth, what he did was to come into the garden to talk to Adam. Adam was meant to interact with him until he becomes exactly like him. Let's bear in mind. What is he making us into? The image of Christ Jesus. Now we said last time, let me just remind us of that again briefly, about the devil. The the devil's aim is to scuttle that process. His aim is that process. See, you must understand something. The devil is not against you having money. He gives money. God has given that one to him. Satan gives money. Material things, Satan can give. What he does is that go and negotiate with somebody, steal from one person, and come and give you. You know, on this earth, he has a lot of wisdom, he has a lot of power, and you must understand, you must understand these are things that God has granted him. He can network and create systems that once you enter, you are rich automatically. And God knows. Satan does not only take money, he gives it. In fact, I think he does more of giving than collecting. He gives. People go to him every day to ask for things, and he gives them. His aim all the time, however, hmm? His aim all the time is to ensure that that communication between you and God is broken. That is always his aim. If money will help it, he will give it to you. So he came to Jesus. He said, listen, look at everything. The kingdoms of men, look at the world and everything. It's been delivered unto me. And by the way, it was not in Genesis that it was delivered to him. No. It's a different story. Let's not go there now. He's been delivered unto me. He worked for it. Actually, he went one by one to people, tempted kings. Yes, that's what he did. He could not have made that statement if David was still on the throne. So it wasn't about Adam giving it to him. He went one by one because what God does is, okay, let me give you an example. Now, Jeroboam. Who made Jeroboam king? No, answer me. Who made him king of Israel? Who did he serve with his throne? Baal, thank you. God made him king. The first thing he did was to build two worship centers in the two extremes of Israel so that they would not have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. That was what Satan was saying. It has been what? Delivered to me. He took it from Jeroboam. No, that's what he used to do. He goes around. And usually, again, you know I digress. That's where we learn a lot from. God builds you something. 
You should, listen, I told you, put the sentence of death in front of you. Don't worry about it. What I mean is that if he didn't want to die, let it die. <laughs> Just bear it in mind that the worst that will happen is the thing will die. And the only thing that can be worse than that, you too will die. Is that not so? And to die is what? Again. Thank you. As a child of God, it's important you are not afraid of death. That is one of Satan's greatest temptations. The fear of death. Jesus came to deliver us from the fear of death. Satan likes you to tempt people. Now, death comes in different levels. Physical, personal death is one. But I'm talking about God gives you a business. It can die. Don't be afraid of it. It gives you a ministry. It can die. Don't be afraid. This ministry of Jesus died at the time. You see, <laughs> what do I mean? Okay, what do you call ministry? It's not that everybody gathered here. The, what we call ministry. Jesus finished preaching. He didn't know how to scatter. They all scattered now. He preached the truth. Everybody ran away. He was waiting pastor to preach these days. Me, I don't understand. <laughs> they go Bible study. He won't chop flesh. He won't drink blood. Not only flesh, his own. I mean, we told when they say, eat my flesh. This will bring cow. And we'll eat the flesh of cow. And all that. No, I'm not going to church again. Jesus came for service. He saw Peter. Peter, only you did. James is outside. He's wondering whether he should come in. Only those 12 people remained. Why? Fishing business don't collapse because you see, there was nowhere to go again. <laughs> so it happens. That's what I'm going to say. So, ministry wants to die, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I found out something. Is it thing that you're not afraid of their dying that actually survives? And that's how God does it. Because what happens is that Satan comes, that's where I was going. What he does is to tempt you with how to make it survive. Yeah. That's what it is with Jeroboam. Jeroboam, now you are king. But you know the kingship can disappear. Your dynasty will not be established. Why? You're only king because God decided to remove you from the house of David. You know. So it's true. So what if God decides to give you back the house of David? Okay, not God, okay. The people. The people may go to Jerusalem and then they will long for the house of David. So what do you do? Make sure they don't go. The place where God kept his name, make sure they don't go there. So build for them different worship centers and give them a God they can see. See, but they said that shall not make a graven image. You have to be practical. This, this is not Ten Commandment time. This is sustaining yourself on the throne. No, churches do it. When there's a program on that church nearby, they start their own program. That's how your church will close. Just mark my words. The one that you're afraid that they can't go anywhere else, that is how to close your church in a hurry. And I say, what's happening here? Ah, hey, look at who they are bringing. They are bringing this apostle, this prophet. Yeah. They took them, they will quickly put their own together. Then bring one evangelist and one pastor teacher. They just that is, they hype their own. So when are they starting? Their own. Oh, yes, music artists. They bring their own. So when God gives you something, you don't want it to die. That's where the devil comes. He gives you the opportunity to preserve it his own way. So he told Jeroboam, this is how you will do it. You will preserve your dynasty by building images in disobedience to the first Three commandments. The first three, the trinity of commandments that started the Ten Commandments. It doesn't matter. It's results we are looking for. It's results. You can be talking about commandments. What if they take the throne from him? Is it commandments we are saying now? That is what Satan does. 
he comes, tries to break that communication between us and God. So what did he do in the beginning? He went to the garden. For time's sake, we will not bother opening to read, but we all know it. He went to Eve and said, has God said? Now, I said it last time. I need to say it again. Satan never has your good at heart. Never. He only takes advantage of your desire for self-preservation. He never has your good at heart. Never. Never. He only pretends to have it. What is Satan? Because Satan doesn't come with his um, cow legs, you know, hooves. And his horns, he doesn't. Doesn't come with red eyes. Doesn't come with snake, snakey Doesn't do snake things. Other snakey, snakey things you see. If you read your Bible very well, almost every time you see snake, God is in action. Yes, now. The rod of Moses. What did he turn to? When he wanted to heal people. What did he turn to? <laughs> Why did he give their so even that other snake, no be judgment. So don't leave that thing. Don't even be afraid of snake. Are you getting my point? Now I'm not saying. I mean, you get my point. I'm saying don't don't expect snake to come when you see snake in your house. Kill him now, normal snake. So the devil came to talk to me. Look, <laughs> now don't worry about what's happened. Okay, let's just leave it. But I'm going to say something here. Don't expect the devil to show up like a snake. Ah, pastor. Good morning. <laughs> no. When the devil wants to come, he goes to Peter. Peter, can I borrow your mouth? Are you, I hope you're getting my point. He enters into Peter. And how? Because Peter was thinking of how we preserve Christ Jesus. When Satan wants to talk to Jesus, he enters into, I'm sorry, you love Mary. He enters into Mary. Gathers Mary and the other people, and they go and pull him out of ministry. That's how Satan talks. Satan has told me different things like that. Ah, Oga, this website has traffic. We can monetize this thing. That is Satan. He said, No, this number of hits, we can just put some Google AdWords. We can just put some things. I said, Oh boy, do your work. The guy will do something for me. We are not monetizing anything. How Satan comes. Listen to this. It's just this one way to identify him. He doesn't come with his wolves. He doesn't do snaky things. He won't come and say, I want to talk to you. No. He just comes, and the primary agenda in his suggestions is the preservation of your life. How do I know? He said, Jesus said to Peter, You are not minding the things of God, you mind the things of man. So, this ministry you are doing, you know your children have to go to school. You can't be doing it anyhow. That we're doing free, free, free. You have to be wise. You have to be wise. Why? He said, okay, if I doesn't tell you anything, focus on effectiveness and fulfillment of your ministry. He's more concerned about, look, you said need to buy motor now. You need to build a house. That is satanic talk. What did I say? It can come from anywhere. So what Satan did, that's what I'm going to emphasize. He went to Eve, pretending to have the interest of Eve at heart. But actually, we discussed it last time, it's his own preservation that's paramount to him. If you guys bring this heaven to this place, I have nowhere else to stay. 
He thrives in darkness. If you fill the place with light, how do I thrive? So all his temptations, and listen, anytime he's starting, it always appears good. Somebody said something concerning Adolf Hitler. That if Adolf Hitler had died in 1939, before he invaded Poland, he would have been on record till today as one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. If somebody had just done him a favor and shot him or blew him up before he invaded Poland, that is, the record would have been, like in Nigeria now we are campaigning, would have been saying, give us a man like Hitler. That's what I've been saying. Why? Because Germany was in deep recession. They lost the First World War. They had not yet recovered from pain reparations concerning that war. They were suffering. The man rose up in a few years. In a few years, he turned the whole economy around. He gave back pride to the German people. These people who lost the war a few years ago, now they could stand with their shoulders straight. They could look anybody in the eyes. All the agreements they made, they say, I'm not paying money. And it did, because economy is production. He started building his military machinery. So everybody had work. They were mining. They were you know, smelting iron. They were producing machines. I know this is Germany. They can produce. Till now, they are one of the large... Look, they produce. I don't know about now, but last time I checked, they were the world's number one car manufacturer. Vox was, at the point in time, the number one, that's a few years ago, the best-selling brand in the world. Germans, they can produce. So they were producing. In fact, he invaded some countries because of their, uh, their um, uh, the mines. Yes. He needed the iron ore. Just conquer the country so they can collect coal and iron and all of that. So everybody was busy in Germany. Everybody. So that was prosperity. But they had his ultimate plan. He had his ultimate plan. Next thing, he started invading one country after another. By the time Europe woke up, he had collected most of their countries. Where am I going? So when Satan starts, he doesn't start like he's horrible. Turn these stones to bread. You will have eaten that bread for some years, very happy. Bow to me and I will give you everything. For the first few years, the man who collects everything from Satan, his workers will be so happy. There will be money. Everybody will be at peace. A strong man, when he keeps his goods, his goods are secure. Everybody will be at peace. Everybody will be happy. It's further down the line that the rottenness in the soul of Satan will start showing up. So don't let him attract you with anything that is, you know. He never has your interest at heart. But what was, what was he doing? Listen. Because what I'm going to do is establish for us what, remember, we started by Christ. What God wants is to build Christ in us. Once God has built Christ in us, every blessing is attached to that. We're going to look at that in details. How Christ is being built in us. Please let me quickly review this because I want to go into the next thing now so I can close on time. All right? All the blessings that we're looking for in life, they come naturally once Christ is built. God doesn't focus on the blessings. He focuses on the building of Christ in each individual. And we have said that we'll come through different ways. And why experiences matter is that each person is broken by different experiences. Do you get my point? Your need for God is shown. All right? Individual, different, different people have different experiences that will push that into them. So God takes us through different pathways in life, but he had just one purpose in mind, the building up of what? Christ in us. So whatever you are going through in life, that should be your focus. Your focus should never be, what am I getting? It's what am I becoming? If you suffer loss, listen, don't lose the development of Christ in you. 
If prosperity comes, don't let it tempt you away from the development of Christ. Satan will take you away from that development process. That's his target. All right? But when he asks Eve, what did he do to Eve? Come and eat of this tree. Now, what does that tree imply? We know the story. Has God really said? No, God said, thou shalt not eat it, thou shalt not touch it. Why? Because the day you eat of it, that day you will surely die. And he told the first lie, which was what? You will not surely die. Again, that's part of our problems. We misunderstand what God is saying. When he said you will eat, you will die. Satan proved to Eve you will not collapse and die. And Eve ate it and did not collapse and die. Death began to work in her. She did not realize it. I hope you're getting my point. But what I want to bring out is what does it mean to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because he said, the day you eat of it, you will become wise. You will be like who? Like God. Now, please notice this. I said to you before, when man was made, and God said, in the image of God created him, God speaks as if the final thing has been done. And that's one of the reasons you will know that that final thing had not been accomplished. Because it had been accomplished, it would not have been a valid temptation. I hope you're getting my point. He offered Eve the final destination without the process. Do you get what I'm going to say? It's like winning lottery and becoming a millionaire. That's not, that's not how you become rich. If they give you lottery money, $100 million, you'll be poor after a short while. Because you did not gather it through labor. I hope you're getting my point here. So, where God made them to be is to be like God. But Satan offered them one thing, which of course Eve and Adam also fell for. Now, Adam didn't, Adam was not deceived. Okay? What happened was that Eve was confused. And so she disobeyed. Now, Adam deliberately, for whatever reason, which I don't want to start discussing now, there are different theories on why he did what he did. But one thing is sure, he did it. With clear eyes. He knew God said, don't eat it. He ate it anyway. The Bible says to us, Paul was explaining, that the woman was deceived. But Adam was not deceived. Which was the reason why God did not forgive him like that. Paul explained that there's a special kind of sin that Adam committed. It was deliberate disobedience to a clear instruction which he had the power to resist. That is temptation. He had the power to resist it. The instruction was clear. He did not forget it. He knew the consequence. Yet he did it. But what was it that he did? Let's talk about that briefly. Then we'll close. So that we'll understand it. Now, God wanted them to be like God. They were going to become like God, really, over time. We are sitting here in the presence of the Spirit of God. The aim is so that we can drink of that Spirit. The truth is that you, are, you will be more like God today, at the end of today, than you were yesterday. That's a matter of fact. And you'll be more like God tomorrow than you are today. And you continue to make that progress until one day Jesus comes and then you will behold him face to face. Then you will become exactly like him. That's the aim. We said from the beginning, that was God's aim from the beginning. That was his aim. He wants to replicate himself in us. Now, but there's a process. There's a process he takes us through. And we're going to continue looking at it as we go on. But Satan says, no, 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 no. Why go through that process? And that's the difference between Satan and God. It's not really what you are getting at. It's how you are going there. 
That's why David emphasized to us, open to me the gates of righteousness. The righteous will pass through the gates of God. That's in Psalm 118. He said, how do you become like God? Now, let me tell you something about God. Lord, let me not confuse anybody. What I'm about to say. If you separate the Father, hmm, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you interview them one by one on any matter, they will give you the same answer, the same opinion, the same decision, the same viewpoint. There's no difference in what each person will say. Why? They have a common spirit. I hope you're getting my point. They are one. That's what it means to be one. When you hear the two shall become one flesh, eh? after marriage, that process continues. The one illustration I like to use. One day, I went to preach at Nusuka. One brother came before me. He came, he saw that I was coming, he saw the adverts, so he came. He never met me. But he had listened to me a lot. So he sat down and he saw the platform, the podium, where I was supposed to speak from, where the pulpit was. So he called one of the organizers and said, That pulpit, Pastor Bank will not like it. Why don't you bring it down and put it here? So he looked at him like, Are you one of the people? He said, No. I just know he won't like it. So they ignored him. I'd never met him before, nothing. I arrived for the program. So after all the everything, the preliminaries, they invited me to speak. So they carried me up to that place. And when I raised it, I looked at it, I said, Why is this thing high up like this? Hey, can somebody come and carry this thing and take it down there for me? The guy burst into laughter. He burst into laughter. He was just saying, he said, Chibi, I told them. Do you know what? He had never met me. He had never. He had never seen me. I don't think he had seen me that time on TV or anything. He just used to listen to me. And by listening, he drank of a particular spirit. He entered into the hall. He saw where that thing. He said, that man won't like it. The man I've been listening to, who has been transmitting that spirit, he doesn't have the kind of spirit that likes that kind of place. I hope you're getting my point. So when he said, the two shall become one. When a husband and wife live together for long enough, after a while, they really are sharing the same faith and everything. They start reasoning exactly like each other. It's called spirit. This is where I'm going. This is God's plan. Now, today, if you were to, if you're able to separate God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and talk to them individually, anyone you ask about anything will tell you the same thing as the other person. You know, there's this game they play. Have you seen those games before? Couples games. They put husband here, put wife here, and write questions down and interview. And you know, each person will answer. You know the game. That's what I'm talking about. If you do 100 million trillion questions, God the Father, Christ Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will give you exactly the same answers, the same opinions, the same viewpoints, the same instructions, the same decisions all the time, even if it was possible for them not to communicate. I'm going somewhere. So actually, what God was doing was to build us to a kind of, or what he is doing. Please read my book, Guided by the Spirit. People want to hear from God. God says, I can talk to people, not a problem. But that's not really my primary aim. My primary aim is that you start thinking like me. So that you can make decisions for me. And it will be the right decision. That's what it means to be like God. But what, was, what, what did, did Satan give to Eve? Now please, notice what I'm saying carefully. Don't misunderstand me. The one that's fully developed will make a decision without talking to God and it will be exactly the mind of God. Just like the son even if he doesn't talk to the father, he reasons like the father. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So when you become exactly, that's why, listen, that's why someone like Paul will say, 
The Lord didn't tell me anything about this. But I have the spirit of God. So this is my instruction. And we are quoting it till today as scripture. I hope you are getting my point. So the Lord said this. The Lord said this about marriage and all of that. He said, but about this, he didn't say anything. But let me give you my opinion by the spirit of God. And you and I are quoting it today as scripture. That's God's aim. But you know what Satan did to them? What does it mean to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What I've just described is a process. It takes time of sitting with Christ every cool evening. You know, we talked about that before. When he will come, you sit with him, you hear his words, he transmits his spirit into you. I don't know how long it was going to take, but eventually he will have been transformed into the image of Christ Jesus. So I say, why now? The aim about this whole thing is independence. You will decide what is right. You will decide what is wrong. That's what it means to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The only thing he could offer them, it was independence. Ability to make their own decisions. It appeared like it was going to be like, because let's read this particular scripture. Then I will stop there. I'm just watching my time. I want us to see what God said at the end of the day. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become what? Like one of us. He said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. I'm just going to stop here because of time, all right? Now, what I want you to understand here is this. What does it mean like he has become like one of us? It's simple. He has become an independent person, able to make his own decisions, able to decide. He thinks the ability now. You get my point. But now he has decided, I will be the one to decide what is right and be the one to decide what is wrong. That's what it means to know good and evil. So that one want to experiment on what is right as a society. We do a survey. Ravi Zacharias calls it salvation by survey. One man did a survey and said that men like to commit adultery. You know the conclusion? Adultery is all right. Yeah. The world bought it. He did another survey. That men like to sleep with other men. Conclusion? Homosexuality is normal. Everything, he laid the foundation for what they call the sexual revolution on research that he did on the sexuality of human beings. So they sat down, make decisions, and do you know they began to legislate on everything he said? That is the meaning of eating of the knowledge, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what the world is doing right now. What feels good is the right thing. What we all agree on, and when we decide we are confused, confusion is normal. That is, I wake up in the morning, I think I'm a woman. Why not, sir? You, a woman. You have a wife, you have children. That was when I was still hiding. Now I need to come out in the open and be true to myself. Then I need a wig. Then I need makeup. And then the president of the world's most powerful and richest nation will send me a tweet. The banking, it takes courage to do what you did. Yeah, that's what happened. That's what Barack Obama did. A man came out at the age of 62 and said, I'm a woman. And the president said that it takes courage to recognize yourself. And like I always say, it takes courage to walk around naked and eat from dustbin. 
You don't think it takes courage? Go and do it. You don't have the courage. I dare you. I double dare you to go to the dustbin naked and fish for something to eat. You do something that does not mean it takes courage. It can also mean you are mad. And listen to me. Anytime you eat of the, the, if you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you become a mad person. Because you start every day trying to make sense out of life. And you can never. And what Satan did by that is cut off the communication. Those people started saying, God, your word is not the final word. We can discuss these things. We can negotiate. Instead of us to go to him and say, Lord, what have you said about this? We now go and start negotiating. We start setting our own agenda. And once you start setting your own agenda in life, instead of humbling yourself before the Lord to receive his own agenda, you know what you are doing? You are eating of the you are eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what you are doing is that you are giving Satan, don't forget that. You are giving Satan a place to live, which was what he was looking for. Once you cut off the flow of light or the life of God, naturally Satan begins to thrive. I hope you got my point. What we are doing this is I just want to explain to us how life runs. You see what redemption means. I will get there. After then, what I have done is explain the introduction of sin. And then that's how sin came into the world. For time's sake, let me stop it here. And today we have another meeting starting in a few minutes. So let's just quickly end this.